Hello, and welcome to episode 122 of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. If your mindset is not right, then you are going to end up moving further and further and further away from why you created your business in the first place. And when that happens, that is when you start to get really resentful and that business that was meant to be your route to freedom starts to become an albatross around your neck. Hello, my name's Ian Anson Gray. And in this episode of the Confident Live Marketing Show, we're talking about money mindset and how to improve it, how to get rid of all those hang-ups that we have about money. And I've got a special guest today, Leslie Thomas, to talk about that and to help us with this big problem. So we'll be with you just after this. Looks like it's time for something completely nutty. podcast with Ian Anderson Gray. Helping you level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of confident live video. Optimize your mindset and communication and increase your confidence in front of the camera. Get confident with the tech and gear. And get confident with the content, content and marketing. marketing. Together, we can go live! Well, hello. Welcome to episode 122 of the Confident Live Marketing Show. This is the show that helps you level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of live video. Now, I'm very excited today because it's been a bit of a bit of a stressful time. Well, yeah, okay, it has been stressful, but also exciting because we've moved house. Yes, we've got boxes all around the house, but it means that finally I'm able to start building a new studio. And so I've got a new background. I've got uh, lots of fancy stuff going on. I'm going to talk about that next episode. So I'm not going to talk about that today, but just if you are watching and you notice something new, that's what it is all about. So let me know what you think about the setup, the background. It's not perfect. I'm, I'm still working on that, but that's really exciting. So today's episode is sponsored by my good friends at Agora Pulse, and they are my favorite social media management tool. They do so many amazing things in the tool. It helps me every day to get to basically conquer all of my social media accounts and not spend so much time on that, but to help me focus on my business. So here's a little bit more about Agora Pulse. The Confident Live Marketing Podcast is made possible thanks to our sponsor, Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse is the all-in-one social media management tool. Publish, schedule, monitor, and engage on all your social media platforms. And with the social inbox, you and your team can manage all your messages, comments, and mentions all in one place and get to that magical inbox zero. And don't forget the amazing analytics and reporting so you can see how your social efforts are performing. Get your first month completely free at agorapulse.com forward slash confident live. You're listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, just to let you know, this show goes live every Tuesday and Thursday. I've had a bit of a break for the last two weeks because of moving house and also a course that I've been running. But we'll be back to this every Tuesday and Thursday. And if you want to be notified next time I go live, just go to confident.live forward slash subscribe. And of course, that is the podcast that goes out every Friday. And if you want to find out about that, you go to iag.me forward slash podcast. But it is time to introduce Leslie Thomas to you. So Leslie is the Money Mastery Business Coach for service-based female entrepreneurs. Known for her holistic whole business approach to money makeovers, Leslie works with entrepreneurial women who undercharge and over-deliver. Does that sound familiar? To help them find their niche, create a new compass and crack their money code. Welcome to the show, Leslie. How are you doing? Thank you, Ian. Really, really well. I'm really pleased to be here. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very, very excited to have you on the show because uh, we've not known each other for that long. A lot of the guests that I have on, had on the show, I've known for quite a long time. And we met, I'm trying to think, it was probably a few months ago. Um, and yeah, I just really connected with what you were saying. I loved your message. And uh, so we, we we connected more and we had a chat. So yeah, tell us, how, t- tell everyone how, uh, how we met. On Clubhouse. Ah. I think it was probably February, March-ish time. And I'm not sure which room we were in, but it was a, a room about money mindset. And you were very honest and asked some really good questions. And then you contacted me off Clubhouse via Instagram and we carried on the conversation essentially. So it was been really good to get a chance to get to know you a little bit better and now to obviously have an opportunity to be on your show. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think that is one of the amazing things about Clubhouse and similar tools actually is that it allows people who don't, who I suppose are strangers, they don't know each other, but have similar interests. And, and so we, we, we bumped into each other in this room and uh, it was a great a great place to connect and i think the the room was it was, a, it was a really interesting room i think it was something to do with functional medicine and money and uh, yes. i thought i've got to get into this room this that I mean, that sounds a really really interesting combination yeah. so that was that was how we we, we talked and, and i loved the, the the thing about clubhouse is because generally they're, they're not recorded there's no replay i think it does uh, facilitate honesty. I don't want to mess around. I just like to get down to the to the business and, and talk about the the real issues that we struggle with. And we, I think everyone struggles with money to some degree. But before we get into that, how did you get into what you're currently doing today? Maybe tell. Uh, we, I've, I've mentioned your bio, but tell us a little bit more about how you got into it. Okay, so I spent twenty years in corporate land. I worked in telecommunications for BT and Orange. I had two small children at the time who were four and two. My husband had already set up his own business selling ski property in Switzerland. I would be rushing out the door first thing in the morning to get to London as he was giving the children breakfast, getting them to nursery. And I was in that that flux of needing to get to meetings on time, but clock watching to make sure that I was getting home to at least give the children a kiss goodnight. And if I was lucky, read them a bedtime story. I realized that was not the life that I wanted. I wasn't being a good mum, a good wife or a good employee. So I decided to leave and join my husband in his business. So I added France to the portfolio of properties that we were selling, ski properties that we were selling. I've always coached and mentored informally throughout my life, be that as a manager in corporate life or having people coming to me since being an entrepreneur, asking me you know, how to set up a business, how to go about the process of running a business, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of years ago, I started to get itchy feet as what I do in our other business is very functional. I hold our clients' hands through the process of buying their property. Um, and being the intermediary between them and the French or Swiss notaries. And it was, you know, it was lovely to do because, you know, helping a client to get their dream home in the mountain, there was definitely a certain amount of pleasure in that, but it wasn't singing to my soul. So as lockdown hit back in March last year, I decided to retrain as a business coach. That was to give me the framework, essentially, because having been in corporate and done all the training and development I had done there and then setting up you know, my own business with my husband and every all the experience I had garnered through that. I had that coaching and business mentality, but I wanted to have an additional framework. But I decided to approach it a little bit differently to many business coaches. Whilst I could have gone about it in the traditional way, gone into clients' business, tried to understand their business strategy, what wasn't working for them, etc. What I decided to do was to focus initially on 
the money mindset. And the reason for that was it's a little bit like if you decide you want to get fitter, you want to lose weight and you take on the services of a personal trainer and the personal trainer looks at what you're eating, looks at your exercise, gives you a plan. You go ahead. You're accountable to the personal trainer. You watch what you're eating. You do the exercise as prescribed. And then your time with the personal trainer finishes. If you're committed to the process of that change, it doesn't matter if the personal trainer is there or not, you will carry on. But if there's something going on in terms of your commitment, something going on in terms of your belief with regards to what shape and size and fitness level you should be, if that coach PT isn't there, then the whole thing is going to stop. And I felt it was exactly the same with regards to being a business coach. I could go in and I could look at their strategy. But actually, if what was going on was up here, if the reason why their strategy was not working for them, if they were not pricing themselves correctly, if they didn't hold the value for themselves in terms of setting boundaries or looking at a niche or being visible. Because what a lot of people don't know is being visible is very much attached to your self-worth and your self-value. Your self-worth and your self-value is very much attached to your money mindset. So there's lots of things that could be going on for a client in their business, but by me starting right back at what is going on with their mindset, and in particular their money mindset, that gives them and me the ability then, once we have worked on that, once we have resolved where that mindset has come from and put the tools in place to help them overcome their relationship with money, the limiting beliefs that they have, then together we can go in, revisit the strategy and make the changes that are needed and the client will buy into that because they recognize by not doing what they need to do, what they're literally doing is getting in their own way and preventing their business from growing and scaling in the way that they want it to, not because of anything that's necessarily going on externally to the business. It's what's going on internally within their mindset. I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I found it fascinating what you were saying about that visibility and money mindset can go hand in hand. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I kind of felt you were kind of talking about me a little bit there. And I think a lot of, a lot of people have told me, a lot of people have struggled with going visible and going live because it's, it is, you're putting yourself out there and, uh, self-esteem can be, if you're, if you're, if you've got low self-esteem and low confidence, then the, the last thing that you want to do is get in front of the camera. And I'm fascinated, maybe we can talk about this in a bit, how money and the money mindset kind of comes into that way of thinking. But I want to ask you first, why do you think money, talking about money, is a bit of a taboo? I have no issue in talking in, in talking about money on, on a show like this. I think it's an important topic. But Talking about it, say, for example, on Facebook or to friends or to colleagues, uh, I don't know, it's a different a different matter. And I wonder whether it's different in different parts of the world. Certainly in the UK, money is not really something you tend to talk about. And uh, you almost, people feel embarrassed about talking about like their job or and how much money they've made in a, in a, in a in a new course that they produced or something like that. Why is that? Why why should we get a big hang up about money? It goes back, I think, to our childhood and the messages that our parents have given us with regards to it's not polite to talk about money. It's not polite to ask your parents how much they earn. It's not polite to ask how much somebody has in the bank. And this just carries on as we get older. Money is deemed to be a dirty thing that you don't talk about. Yet when you don't have money, it seems okay. Society seems happy for people to say, I'm struggling, you know, I'm down and out, I haven't got enough money in the bank, I can't put food on the table, etc., etc. But when somebody talks about how much money they have, how well they are doing, then instantly that is seen as something you shouldn't do. And that actually comes down 
to our own limiting beliefs. When we hear somebody talking about how well they're doing, actually, that is our way of saying, I want to do as well as that person, but I don't believe I have the ability to do as well. So we come up with things like, oh, yeah, they might be rich, but they're not happy. They might be rich, but they work all hours under the sun. They might be rich, but they don't get the chance to see their children grow up. So we, we try to justify why somebody is effectively, as we see it, doing better than us but they're not having as good a life as us. And when we start to feel those feelings, it makes much more sense to understand why we feel that way rather than simply criticizing somebody because they have something that we don't have. But a lot of the messages that we have with regards to money and the relationship that we have with money are learned from our childhood and are, are learned from our parents. So essentially, we're taking the money story that our parents gave us when we are a child, when we were a child, and carrying that through to adulthood. And it's the only story that we take through with us from our childhood. We don't take the story of Father Christmas. We don't take the story of the Tooth Fairy. And we certainly don't believe that Ken and Barbie are living happily ever after in Miami. <laughs> But oh, you've, you've, what have you done? You've, you've spoiled all these beautiful I, like stories that I had, you know? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I should have checked that out first of all. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's really, really interesting, really helpful stuff. So yes, there's, we've got some work to do with, you know, all that baggage that we have from our childhood. And I wonder whether also it's part of it is that we, it's, it's easier to blame other people than work out how to to sort ourselves out and sometimes we f we may feel that we're not worthy or that we we just we're never going to be able to do it and i used to have this well it's pro it's probably still potentially an issue for me if i'm not too careful that i i never had the corporate job you know i i trained as a professional singer and i taught singing and then i kind of fell into what i'm doing but i didn't fall into what i'm doing well, I kind of did. And, <laughs> and, uh, but I kind of, that sometimes can be an excuse for me. Oh, well, I couldn't possibly be like those people because I didn't have a corporate background. But of course, if I did, then it would be something else. I'd come up with another excuse. And I think we're probably very good as human beings at coming up with those excuses so that we don't have to do the hard work. But how do we go about sorting ourselves out you know and doing that hard do, doing the hard work might not be the issue it's, it's a case of well what do i need to do can you help us with that yeah absolutely mm. first of all you know it's a case of recognizing when you have those conversation that negative conversation that's going on in your head people have different names for it you know the mind monkeys money monster it's that negative self-talk which is our subconscious and our subconscious believes its job is to keep us safe and its job is to keep us safe but in keeping us safe our subconscious will attempt to hold us exactly where we are and the reason it does that is it believes if we carry on doing what we're doing then we're not going to be putting ourselves in a place of harm mm. so when we start to do things when we start to think okay i want to grow my business or i want to leave my corporate job and i want to set up my own company our subconscious starts to get hugely hugely uncomfortable the alarm bells goes off and so what our subconscious does is come up with every reason it possibly can to put self-doubt mm. in our mm. minds and by us allowing Allowing that self-talk to take hold, that is when we will actually go, no, I'm not going to do it. What happens if my company fails? What happens if I go live and everybody thinks, who the hell is this person? You know, they don't know what they're talking about. It'll throw up every version of the worst case scenario it possibly can to hold us where we are. And what we have to do is create that evidence for our subconscious that we actually know 
what we are doing, that we actually have a plan for where we're going to, and that we are following a plan in such a way that each step along the way, we know what we are doing and providing that reassurance to our subconscious. And by allowing our subconscious to come on the journey with us, that is when we start to have those, as I call them, shower moments, those brilliant ideas that come to you when you're not even thinking about what it is you want to do or how you're going to get there, but you have that real nugget of gold that pops into your head and you go, wow, that was a brilliant idea. That is your subconscious starting to get used to the idea that what you want to do, you are fully capable of doing. And there's, there's lots of tools and techniques that you can utilize. And one I use on my clients is, we know when we should be doing something. We get that feeling in the pit of our stomach. We get that, in, that intuitive feeling that says, aha, I've got a bright idea. And then what happens, subconscious kicks in and goes, ha, ha, hang on, hang on. Before you go down that road, let's think of all the things that could go wrong. So what I speak to my clients about is what methodology can we do to stop that negative voice from taking hold? And there's, there's, there's lots of different things you can do. But the first thing is, is to retrain that negative voice. So to write down five limiting beliefs that you know you have about money and about your own self-worth and self-value. Then write five more. I always ask them to write five more because the five, the first five are really easy. They're surface level. The next five are a little bit trickier. They're not so surface level. You've got to dig a little bit deeper. But journal out 10 self-limiting beliefs you know you have about your own self-worth, your self-value and your relationship with money. Then write them in the positive. So every time a negative thought comes in, you start training yourself to actually turn it into the positive. If you are a creative person, you can take that a step further. In fact, you don't have to be very creative because I'm not very creative, but you can draw an avatar, an avatar or, and give it a name, something like Positive Polly, Positive Pete, and give Positive Polly, Positive Pete all the attributes that positive persona is going to have in terms of your self-values, your self-beliefs around yourself and around money. And then do the same for a negative avatar. And that avatar can just be a stick person as opposed to anything fancy. I'm not a particularly good drawer, so I will just do a stick person. Then you can imagine when you're starting to have that negative conversation with yourself, a little bit like back in Tom and Jerry's cartoons back in the day where you have a little angel flying down on one shoulder and the devil flying down on the other shoulder. Well, you can imagine your two characters, that negative Nelly, that negative Nora, negative Nigel, there they are chatting away in your ear and you can imagine the, the positive character coming in, flicking them off the shoulder, get out the way, negative Nigel, positive Pete is now running the show. Because when we can associate positivity and when we can have that creativity, it acts as a pattern interrupt, essentially. It wakes us up and it takes us out of that state of being negative. It's a little bit like shaking ourselves, say, come on, pull yourself together. But you are the one that's doing that in your mind. And the more you start to recognize that negative talk coming in, the quicker you will be able to do something about it. And very quickly, you'll get to a point where just as that negative thought is starting to be formed, actually, you don't let it form, you replace it with a positive thought instead. And then another thing to do is a slight take on Mel Robbins wrote a book, 54321. And I've taken it a step further. But in 54321, Mel talked about, for example, the alarm goes off in the morning. Rather than hitting snooze, you count 54321, rush out of bed. Well, actually, anything that I need to do, anything I need my clients to do. So, for example, going live on LinkedIn. Not the biggest fan of going live on LinkedIn, but I do it because I know I need to do it. So instead of counting five, four, three, two, one, because there's five seconds that I can talk myself out of doing what I need to do, I literally go one and do it. 
So I don't give myself the chance to talk myself out of what I know I should be doing, what intuitively that feeling in the pit of my stomach is saying, right, you haven't gone live on Facebook for a while, you haven't gone live on LinkedIn, do it now. And I will literally do it there and then. And that is what I advise to my clients to do. You know when you need to do something, so don't prevaricate about it, just get on and do it. Because once you've done it, you actually wonder why you worried about it in the first place. <laughs> That's very true. And it's not to say, of course, you, you, you need to plan and do all the planning and, and all the tech and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to actually pressing the go, the go live button, don't overthink it. I think exactly. so many people overthink it and that's that's not a good idea. I, I love what you say there because it, it's just, it seems so logical. It, it, it's a really logical approach. You know, you're not, it's not magic. We've got these kind of two parts or three parts of our brain. We've certainly got the, the kind of old, I don't know what you call it, the, the tiger brain. It sees a tiger coming towards you and it, that part of the brain wants to save you from danger, from death. And that is that in a way is is the the kind of the negative voice the 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 medieval part of your our brain that we need to kind of sort out and uh, listen listen to it and i've i found that really helpful and and starting to kind of listen to the negative voice what it's actually saying and then try and reprogram that so that is really helpful stuff i can see we have uh melissa sorry i missed your message before but you said i had a bank role before setting as a bookkeeper angelito is what uh, watching from japan lito from japan great to see you uh been in the uh the the course this week helping you launch your live and this is an interesting one from hassan i would love to know what you think about this leslie my little theory social disparities may be the culprit in the creation of bad perceptions of money disparities may create resentment and the circulation of bad narratives about money that sounds really interesting what, what do you think about that leslie beautifully put and that that is absolutely true. And but that's a limiting belief in itself, isn't it? Just because you were born into a situation of money where there may not have been enough money to look at somebody else who has more money and to look down on them or to look at them in a negative way doesn't really no doesn't really make sense what we should do instead is be is be looking at somebody who has something that we covet and actually work out how do I go about replicating what they have? How do, how do I go about changing my situation rather than trying to pour cold water on their situation? If we think about the runner Roger Bannister, who ran the, four, the first four-minute mile, he showed us all that it was possible to run a four-minute mile. How many people subsequently have run a four-minute mile? many, many people because he showed it was possible. And when you have a limiting belief, what you need to look at is what is that limiting belief doing for you? It's actually holding you in a place of where you are now, rather than looking at where you want to get to and the steps that you need to do to get there. So sitting there coveting is never ever going to produce what you want, but working out what you want putting the steps in place, but looking at that person and saying, ah, if they've done it, I can do it. There's no reason why I can't do it. And when we look at very, very successful business people around the world, they have built their successful businesses. They haven't necessarily just been given those businesses. They've started off, we look at Alan Sugar, for example, you know, he started off with a market stall he is now Lord Alan Sugar with you know many, many millions in the bank. He could have judged other people for the money that they had and held himself there, feeling very eaten up that he wasn't born with what we call, you know, a golden spoon, sorry, a silver spoon in his mouth, but he didn't. He looked at what he could do to create the lifestyle he wanted, and he got on and he built the businesses that he built. That is removing the potential for any limiting beliefs, any stories that you've been told by your parents. It allows you to build your life 
on your terms and empowers you. We all have the ability if we choose to, and that's the important part there, we all have the ability if we choose to, to move from where we are to where we want to go to. And what we have to do is be very intentional in creating a plan and the action required to deliver on that plan. I love that. I said it's a really positive message. So don't let these negative these these negative beliefs, these false beliefs stop you from moving forwards and, and don't compare yourself with others in a negative way because it will re- it, it it can wreak havoc on your life. I I've been there. I've been there and so I'd love to know from you watching, do you have any what are your hang-ups? Uh what are your uh, issues with this or have you heard these you know these hang-ups from other people and uh, uh, so uh, hassan says i totally agree thank you thank you for that hassan you're listening to the confident live marketing podcast i want to ask you so i think we've already mentioned this but in terms of the limiting beliefs that you've come across in working with your clients what are the kind of the common limiting beliefs that you've come across because i think that would be helpful for for us uh, watching and thinking about this that might help us to kind of maybe see some of those traits in our own lives and then to do something about it. Okay. So first of all, money mindset doesn't just affect our relationship with money, but obviously that is the the most common one that we think about. So in terms of running a business, pricing can be a really, really big area of concern for people. They will undercharge and over deliver for fear of not winning a client. So they will very often hold their prices um, at a real low level for a long period of time. If they are a service-based business, they will probably be charging by the hour. And if you're charging by the hour, you know it's very, very difficult to grow your business unless you are increasing the number of hours that you're working or increasing your prices. As I've just said, increasing prices is an area very often um, somebody with limiting beliefs will stay well away from. So instead, they'll increase the number of hours that they work. That's when burnout happens because they're working long days and long weeks. Putting boundaries in place can be a very, very difficult thing for somebody with limiting beliefs to do. So when you haven't got boundaries in place, that is when you can start to have problems with clients not turning up to appointments, cancelling appointments at the last minute, uh, contacting you outside of office hours and expecting you to be responding to them, not paying on time, arguing about fees, etc, etc. When you put firm boundaries in place, you earn respect and it also gives you a way to bring clients back on track should there be a problem. When you are charging by the hour, put packages in place, put packages in place that provide value to that client and keeps that client wanting to work with you because they recognize the transformation, the journey that you are bringing them on. It's not just about how many hours you're going to work together or a one-off particular product. It's looking at what you can do to grow that relationship over time with a client. Another one that clients very often come to me with is uh, they haven't niched down. They haven't niched down because they believe it's going to limit their opportunity. They're going to be working with less people rather than seeing niching as the opportunity to create for themselves a position of being an expert in their field. And if they're an expert in their field, they can create specific marketing messages aimed at their ideal client. Their ideal client will recognize that they are taught, they're being spoken to by you, and that is gonna magnetize them more to you. Visibility, as we've spoken about, you know, is another big one. And there's, there's so many things that are tied up around your sense of worth, your sense of value, and that need to over-deliver and undercharge. And when you're over-delivering and undercharging, that is when you start to get very resentful about your business. And that is when you tend to forget why you went into your own business in the first place. And usually the reasons why we set up our own business is to be setting our own schedule 
spending more time with our family, spending more time doing the things that we enjoy, being able to go out and have lunch with the ladies or, you know, drinks with the men. It allows you to have that flexibility. But if your mindset is not right, then you are going to end up moving moving further and further and further away from why you created your business in the first place. And when that happens, that is when you start to get really resentful and that business that was meant to be your route to freedom starts to become an albatross around your neck. Something else that is very, very prevalent with somebody with a, with a negative money mindset is the need to discount when there is no need to discount. One thing I absolutely hate, and that is mates rates. I do not think there's ever any requirement for mates rates because our mates should be the very people that are that are our cheerleaders, essentially. They are there to, to endorse what we do because they recognize what we've done in order to create the business that we have. They shouldn't be queuing up, me, 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 have you got a special rate for me because we're mates? And I think that whole thing about needing to discount what you do rather than recognizing the value that you provide, that is all about you questioning yourself and questioning how others are perceiving and accepting the service and the the value that you offer. So all those things just tend to be chipping away at your own sense of who you are and the value that your business brings. I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I, I totally agree with you about the whole mates rates thing. I've been there before when friends have said, ask, ask me if I yeah, can do them a discount. And I've probably done the other, I've done the thing on the other side, but actually when you think about it, if you, they are a real friend of yours, they should be respecting you and, and understanding what it is that you do and your, the expertise that goes into it. Now, the, I think the whole pricing thing, we could do a whole show on that. I can see Melissa is said here, I had a client that forgot to pay because the fee was low. And I think that is, that that's like a warning really that, and I think you've seen this, Melissa, that obviously you are in that situation, you were charging too low a fee. And I think sometimes those of us in the creative space and entrepreneurial space, we've gone into what into what we're doing. Like I've gone into what I'm doing because I love to be creative. And I, I also, I want to help people. And that can be a problem when it comes to then charging people what you should be charging because you want to help people. And also it's quite often we do what we're doing because we love it and we're very good at it. And so it almost feels like, why, why should I be charging for this? This is something that I, I just love doing. Uh, my background, as I said before, is I trained as a, a classical singer. And so this is a, a case in point. This happened a lot with me that I would be asked by somebody to sing at a wedding or sing, sing at a, some kind of concert. And when it came to the, the the money side of things, they were this happened probably two or three times. They were would were kind of like really shocked when I asked them what you know what my talked about the fee because they thought I was doing it just for the love of it. And I even had a situation where I was singing at a concert and the conductor was complaining about the fee that I was I was charging because it was more than what he was paying he was being paid and so i think that was a lot of baggage for me but i think I, i've seen it a lot with creative people uh, because they do it because they love it and they do it because they care about people and they want to help people there can be real hang-ups when it comes to charging have you seen that uh, leslie and what can we do about that limiting Absolutely. belief yeah, absolutely. And, I, I, you know, and I've seen it time and time mm. again that people who, you know, believe they have, you know, a gift, you know, they can paint, they can sing, they can act, etc. There seems to be some real tie up that because they have this gift, they shouldn't be charging for it. And that is just you know a ridiculous scenario to be in because business people have gifts. They have the gifts of negotiation. They have the gifts of selling. They have the gifts of being able to market. 
they are charging their worth for what they are doing. The same should absolutely apply to the creative industry. You know, I had a conversation with um, a hairdresser earlier on today as part of a wider project that I'm working on. And she is an exception probably, you know, in, in that field because hairdressers, do tend to undervalue what they do when actually you think about it when we were when we were in lockdown what was everybody clamoring for the moment the hairdressers would open again so they could go and have their hair cut because we all feel so much better when our hair is looking sharp tidy well presented etc etc and so you need to be thinking about what are you bringing to the other party? How are you making feel those people in the audience listening to you, paying to come along and listen to you sing? How are you making them feel when you are good at art and a piece of your art is sitting somewhere proudly on a living room wall? How are you helping those people to feel about their home and their ability to purchase that piece of art. You know, an affirmation that I have, the more people I serve, the more money I earn. The more money I earn, the more people I serve. Because there is there is, there is a quid pro quo in there. I help people, I get well paid for it. By me getting well paid, I can help more people. And it's exactly the same with with the creatives, just because you are creative, you are still helping people to feel something. And that, that could be enjoyment because they're hearing you sing. It could be the the delight they get because you've made their house look nicer. It could be the, the fun evening they've had going along to a play that you are starring in. You need to disassociate yourself from that being worth little to actually what it is worth to the person who is procuring, enjoying what it is you are doing for them. And pricing should always be about what are you doing for the end user? What is the transformation you're providing for them? What is the experience and how are you making them feel as a result of that experience? And the last thing you should ever do is feel guilt because you have this ability to sing, to draw, to paint, whatever it is, your skill, your ability is as important as somebody who is good at banking or somebody who is good at anything to do with business, essentially. And what we tend to do is the excuse, oh, I shouldn't really, know. I'm lucky to be able to do a job I love. I shouldn't expect to be really well paid for it. Why not? Why should you not expect to be paid what you are, what the, the service that you are providing, the experience that you are giving? And that's what you need to do is to look at those around you and what they are doing and look at it in terms of, well, okay, they they have the ability to, be good at maths and therefore they are a banker but I'm actually really naturally good at making people feel happy get them up and dancing and creating a fantastic experience and you need to look at it in those terms not in the terms of lack I can only sing I can only paint because it's not I only you can sing you can paint and I am sure if Picasso was alive today or da Vinci or any of the big Beethoven etc you know they would love to know that their paintings are now selling for millions people are paying millions to go along collectively and listen to Beethoven music etc but unfortunately they didn't get any of those benefits at all I am sure if we offered them the opportunity to have not been in poverty to actually get some of the wealth that other people are enjoying because of their gifts they would have put their hand up and said yes please I will have some of that too I think so (laughs) I I love I love that about the fact that it's about the transformation, you know, we're, we're, it's not just the process. It's not just what we're doing. We're not, it's not just, they're not paying us to sing. They're not paying. I, I'm not being paid to produce an event, a live event on, online, or uh, somebody's not paying me to help them uh, with the tech necessarily of a, of a live video. It's, 
it's helping them with a transformation from one of, of maybe stress and, and anxiety to something that they can then they can then focus on their business and get more clients and uh, spend more time with their kids and all that kind of stuff. It, it's I, I love that. And do you think it's also we we can sometimes forget the experience that we've had and there's a there's a couple of stories are probably not true but they're great I, I love these stories about the plumber who is called out because the the boiler isn't working and the plumber goes in uh, looks at it uh, gets his hammer out knocks it a couple of times and it's fixed and he sends the bill out to the client and it's it's a hundred pounds and they the, the client complains, say, look, you only just, you just hammered it a couple of times and you're charging us a hundred pounds. Can you give me a breakdown? And the breakdown is one pounds for the hammer and 99 pounds for the 25 years experience it took to, uh, to work out where to hit the hammer. Uh, I love that. And then there's the Picasso one, which is Picasso exactly. is yeah. uh, asked, uh, is, is asked to do a, a portrait and he gets, gets their, um, I don't know, is it like a napkin and draws the portrait and uh, this person thinks it's absolutely amazing. How much, how much will you charge for that? And he says something like, I don't know, $300 or whatever. And he said, but that just took you three seconds. And and he replies, no, madame, it has taken me my entire life. (laughs) Well, I heard another version of of the Picasso. Yeah. A lady went into a cafe and Picasso was there doodling on a napkin and the lady went up to him and said, oh, I, I, I love that. You know, can I buy it from you? And he said, I haven't finished it yet. If you go back to your seat, I'll, I'll finish it and then I will sell it to you, no problem. So he finished it. Five minutes later, she came back over and she said to Picasso, I love that. Can I buy it from you? Now, this is where the difference was in the version I heard. Madam, that will be 30,000 euros. I thought, what? 30,000 euros, that took you five minutes. But exactly as you said there, Picasso said, no, madam, I have taken 45 years to have the skill level that I do. And I think that is such a brilliant, brilliant, as the plumber story example, that we do forget that we should not be charging our time We need to be looking at the experience that we're bringing along. And this is what I often say to my clients, to have the reluctance to increase your prices on a regular basis when you are getting more experience, when you're possibly going through development and training yourself. The disservice that you are doing is you are not reflecting your value in your prices. And that is something that really does very often flick a switch for clients when they start to think, you're right, actually, you know, I do have this ability. I, you know, I am more experienced than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, three years ago. But also what clients forget is if you undercharge, that can be seen as being just as dangerous as overcharging because we all attach a value to something. And if we undercharge, certain people are going to question are you as good? Are you as capable? Are you as experienced? So people really do need to be looking at both ends of the scale, because it's not only those that overcharge or are perceived overcharge, where would-be clients are questioning, it's also those that undercharge as well. And again, you could be doing yourself a disservice. You could be the absolute best at what you do, but if you're undercharging, the perception is going to be you're not all that. And that is something that really does need to be taken on board. Absolutely. And, you know, somebody, some wise person said, you know, you can't, if you want to help people, if that's what you came into your business to do, you can't help people if you don't have a profitable business. If you're stressing about the money coming in and it's, it, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's so, so important. I can see uh, that Lito was saying just, you know, we were talking about mates rates before. Mates rates, I had the standard mindset about that. Thanks for the wake up call. Yeah, I think so many of us do. Uh, Melissa totally agrees. Thank you, Melissa. And Hassan, what, let's read what you say here. So moving to a new career can require building a new set of beliefs. This is my case at this time. I would not call it a hang up, but it's a steeply climb that will take some time. I like the idea of bringing forward my positive Hassan. I love that. (laughs) Exactly. It's about rebuilding or reclaiming that mindset. And that's what we're talking about today. So I wanted to, so you, you, 
in your bio, you you were saying you work with female entrepreneurs. You work mainly with female entrepreneurs. Do you think that women have more of an issue with this? I mean, I certainly know that I, I, I've had lots of issues with this, but I just wonder whether, so I, I'm assuming you would agree that it's not just women, that both men and women struggle with this. But do you think there is a difference? I just wonder whether there is a difference or is that just too simple? Yes, both men and women have issues around money without a shadow of a doubt, but it's how they approach it that is different. Because because women are naturally, from you know, time gone by, the nurturers, we will tend to put ourselves at the back of the queue when it comes to the value we perceive in ourselves. But actually, the biggest difference is in ego. Women who come to me wanting to really work on their money mindset, they tend to leave their egos at the door. It doesn't take very much for them to open up with regards to what is going on for them, how it's affected them, and to have that real determination to to break through those barriers and come out the other side. Very often with men, it's more difficult for them to have that open conversation initially, again, because of the the natural archetypes that go on. You know, men are the bread are the breadwinners. Men are there for women to lean on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, for a man to admit openly to a coach that he has limiting beliefs, it can take longer to get to that point for them to kind of go. I've got a problem. I need to stop this. I need to talk to somebody so I can get over these hurdles I've put in place for myself. So whilst the issues are the same, how they are approached are very, very different. And one of the reasons why I chose my niche to be service-based female entrepreneurs is because I am walking my talk in very much believing you should niche down. You should have the confidence to work with a particular set of clients, a particular ideal client, hence me choosing service-based female entrepreneurs. But men very, very much do have you know a very very similar set of mindset about money but they possibly have a little bit more guilt attached to it because of the stereotypes of you know a man's a breadwinner the woman's a nurturer basically so there's slightly different hurdles to get over to let go of those stereotypes and to deal with their actual situation rather than their perception, their belief about their situation. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I suppose that, that that's the the generalization. I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule. I'm sure there are some women that have have got lots of ego and there's the men that, that don't, you know, but yeah. but generally I think I think you're right. I think that's that's often the the issue. So I think we've we've talked so much about the limiting beliefs. We you've talked you've given us some some tools on what we can do to to remove those and to improve, optimize our money mindset. Just before we finish, because we're we're almost out of time, is what would you say are there maybe one or two things that we can do after listening or watching this that are the first things that we should do in order to optimize and, and to get beyond some of these limiting beliefs that we have there's there's a lot lots and lots of tools i think the f- the first thing is you know awareness actually write down where you think your limiting beliefs are um, and then work out a, a big thing I do with my clients is around meeting your future self. So where do you want to be in three years time? And to really create a lot of detail around where you want to be, how much you want to be earning, what you want to be wearing, what you want to be experiencing, what you've achieved over the last three years, what you've stopped doing 
because you've recognized that's not serving you and what you got what you've started doing and those stopping doing could be certain tools and tasks in your business that are not the best use of your time so social media for example you might have decided to hand over your social media to somebody else to give you more time to be getting in contact with would-be clients it could be you've decided to get a cleaner in so again you have more free time to be doing something else writing a letter to your future self so what i do is on the first of january every year i write a letter to my future self in 12 months time congratulating me on all the things that i have achieved in the previous 12 months so in essence i am putting my goals out there and I'm congratulating myself for having achieved them. As you can imagine, the letter, so and also what I do is I send that letter via a website called futureme.org and you can set the time frame that you want. So I always, I write my letter and send it to arrive 12 months later on the 1st of January. The letter I received on the 1st of January just gone, as you can imagine, was not exactly as I planned that year to be. <laughs> given what happened with the pandemic. Yeah. But I know that letter's arriving. I know pretty much what's in that letter, and that helps hold me accountable. I have a, um, a free Money Mindset Masterclass ebook, and that's about 27 pages long, that goes through a whole set of questions in terms of where does your money mindset come from, looking at what is going on for you now and what is holding you back, and then moving you towards your future self, and creating affirmations, because whilst I am not a woo-woo person at all, I have actually seen the powerful effect of writing affirmations. So I would recommend choosing five affirmations that work for you and then putting them in different places that you can see them regularly, including as a screensaver on your phone. So every time you pick your phone up, the reminder is there, basically. Creating a vision board. You know, vision boards are great as well for us to be able to work out what we want to do. Because with money, money loves a purpose. No point in saying, I want to have a million pounds in the bank, because a million pounds in the bank is no good to anybody. What you want to do is create a purpose for that money. So what you want to be earning and what you want to be spending it on. Is it going to be you know, a place by the seaside? Is it going to be sending your children to private school? Is it going to be you know, a top of the range BMW? Whatever it's going to be, create that vision board have it visually in front of you somewhere but also I have an app on my phone vision board funnily enough and again I regularly look at that because what happens you know with our mindsets we can get really really excited about having a plan and yes I'm going to be committed to it but as time goes by that motivation drops. So what we need to create is discipline because discipline is the thing that is going to keep us going. And with our mindset and with our goals, we need to have that reminder there to keep the discipline strong because motivation will fade quite quickly. But if we have discipline there, it's going to be that that keeps us going, keeps moving us towards our goals and keeps reminding our self, our subconscious of why we're doing what we're doing and what the end result is going to be. Does that help? That is amazing. Thank you so much, Leslie. There's so much stuff there. And so I hope you have your notepad and you're writing it down. Actually, I'm joking. You don't need to worry about any of that because if you go in the future or if you listen to the podcast, it's available now. If you go to iag.me forward slash one, two, two, uh, we'll have the, the whole blog post on all of this. And th that was just so powerful. So, so helpful. And you mentioned that you've got this, uh, was it a checklist uh, to, to tell us a little bit more about how people, how we can find out more about you and uh, also uh, a bit more about this checklist as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's about a 27, 28 page ebook, basically. It's a PDF mm. download. If you go to my website, which is www.lesleyathomas.com, um, and on the home page, right down the bottom, you can put in your details and then it'll be whizzed to you via the wonders of the internet. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really useful 
very comprehensive. It goes into some of the you know the background with regards to money mindset, abundance, scarcity, etc. But there's lots of practical exercises in there, including meet your future self and a money mantra as well. And I would really recommend looking at that, doing your affirmations at least twice a day, your money mantra, reading it out at least once a day. And whilst you might feel a bit silly to begin with, because I know that I did, once you actually start to see the impact that has on your psyche and how you feel about things and the motivation it gives you, then you're going to really, really buy into doing it because it's something that really, really works. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you so much, Leslie. That's amazing. And uh, that website, that link will be in the show notes as well. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been it's been great. Just to let you know, the next episode will, is all about my studio and what is next. I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the issues that I've had, but also some of the exciting things that are going to be coming and also how you can build your studio without having to spend a huge amount of money and not having like a mega, mega space. Uh, we've been talking about comparance, uh, comparing yourself with others with it when it comes to money. But I think we can compare ourselves when it comes to studios and think, oh, well, I couldn't possibly do what Ian's doing or doing what other people are doing because I don't have the same. I don't know. There's probably going to be some hang up there. So don't worry about that. Do check out the podcast at iag.me forward slash podcast. And uh, thank you so much, Leslie. It's been great to have you on the show and uh, we'll have to have you back on to because there's probably so much more that we could talk about. So thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I will leave you with this. I really want to encourage you to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. I'll see you soon. Toodaloo. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray. Make sure you subscribe at iag.me forward slash podcast so you can continue to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of live video. And until next time, toodaloo. Mindset with Leslie Tom.